Wonderful. All right, let's uh, grab our seats again. When the kids go out, we always look like a six-year-old's set of teeth. <laughs> a lot of gaps start appearing. Well, turn in our Bibles, please, to Second Corinthians chapter 9. You know, in life, awkward moments and conversations would appear to be simply part of the course. Moments where people mishear what you're saying, moments where people misunderstand what you're saying. As I've told you about before, this happened to me about five years ago, very epically in the Philippines, when I asked a young lady who was heading up an orphanage, um, what does your average week look like? Um, and I asked her what her average week looks like, and she said, I've never been asked that before. And I said, really, that's, I kind of find that strange. But she said, no, I've never been asked that question before. And I said, oh, well, I just wondered what your average week looks like. And she said, well, kind of depends what I'm eating, really. Depends whether I'm on carbohydrates or potatoes. And straight away, I realized she thinks I've asked, what does your average weight look like? Now, any normal person at this point pauses the conversation and says, no, I meant weak, but I didn't do that. I was like a rabbit in the headlights. I'm just dying as she thinks I've said wait, and as I'm processing that <laughs> she thinks I've said wait, the conversation just continues. Well, it depends whether I, I eat potato chips or what it means, and I sort of alter between about 50 and 60 kilos, but it, and I'm just like, I was dying. Eventually, she finished the conversation and said, yeah, I've never been asked that before. And I said, no, I guess not anyway. <laughs> How's the orphanage? I was dying on the inside. I just want to encourage you. That is the director of global missions for our family of churches. That's the type of quality I bring to this. What does your average weight look like? <laughs> In all of our lives, we have moments, or at least I do, and conversations that can be awkward. We've all had them. Moments when you rush over to somebody, tap them on their shoulder. Congratulations, I didn't know. And they say, I'm not pregnant. Or moments when you rush over to somebody because you think you know them. And as you get close, you're like, hi. And then you realize, I have no idea who they are. If we all have these moments and conversations that can be somewhat awkward. And as a pastor, one such moment of conversation can be on the topic of money. It just feels awkward. You see, as Christians, we love to talk about our prayer life. We love to talk about our Bible ministry. We're even open to talking about our evangelism. But don't talk to me about my money. It, it automatically, for all of us, it seems very private, doesn't it? It seems like, you know, just don't, don't talk to me about that. And then because of that, when it does come up, we find ourselves somewhat skeptical, somewhat suspicious. Why are they bringing this up again? We don't do that when we're talking about prayer or the Bible. When it comes to money, there's something goes on where we find ourselves somewhat suspicious. It can be an awkward conversation, particularly for me anyway, as a pastor. And yet I thank God that for our good and his glory, that the Lord Jesus isn't awkward about this topic at all. He's more than happy to talk about it. You know, 15% of all the recorded words of Jesus in the Bible relate to money and treasures. 
out of 39 parables, 39 parables that he gives, 11 of them, a quarter of them, relate to money and treasure. Combined, Jesus talks more about money and giving than he does heaven and hell combined. In fact, he talks, about more, he talks more about money and giving than any other individual topic in the entirety of what he talks about. For his glory and our good, I thank God that the Lord Jesus himself doesn't feel awkward talking about money at all. He knows its value. He knows its, its importance. He knows its temptations. And he knows its opportunities. And if the Lord Jesus isn't awkward about talking about it, I don't want to be awkward about talking about it either. We need these words. We need to be washed with the word in a culture that I think has a profound blind spot towards greed and materialism. We need the oxygen of the words of Christ to break into our hearts and help us understand the importance and priority of money and giving. So we're going to start... With just one verse this morning before we open up many more in God's Word. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. This is the Word of the Lord. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Lord, I do thank you for your word, and I do thank you that you aren't awkward or embarrassed talking about this at all. So, Lord, as you draw up a seat alongside us this morning, would our hearts be open to you? Would we open our hearts and our lives to receive your word for our lives, knowing that you are the wonderful counselor? So, Lord, help us understand this by your grace, and would it all be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, a couple of months ago in January of this year, a whole group of us went to Relay, the Sovereign Grace Young Adults Conference. It was an awesome time. 700 young adults from over 50 different churches, over five different countries. We had an absolute blast hearing God's Word preached, singing songs together, enjoying fellowship together. And one of the things we wanted to make sure we did for for our group as we took them out from Australia was to just make memories as well, do some things that we wouldn't usually do. And so one afternoon after the conference, we decided that we would take all our young adults axe throwing. I'd never done it before. I was excited about throwing axes. There seemed something about it that just seemed right. And I loved it. But here's what I discovered. As we went axe throwing, and as I threw my first axe towards this wooden board, I was so excited. I realized something. I'm terrible at this. I mean, they just kept bouncing off all the time. Everybody else is just seemed to be going in, but not mine. They're just ricocheting everywhere. The only comfort to me is as I looked at all the young adults taking their turn, they were even worse. So I was terrible, and they were worse than that. That was encouraging, at least. But I discovered in that moment, it's actually very hard to get these axes to stick in the wall and score some points. What I also discovered in that moment is when you're axe throwing, you have to know exactly what you are aiming for. You need to know where the bull's eye is, because during the games, they move the bull's eye to take different places on the board. You have to know exactly what you're aiming at. If you are going to win the game, you have to know your target. And when it comes to money and giving, I think the same would be true. 
we have to know what we're aiming for. What is it that God loves? What is the target? What is the bullseye when it comes to giving that God wants us to understand from his word? And I put to you the bullseye is two words. The bullseye is joyful generosity. When it comes to understanding the type of giving that the Lord wants from us, how he wants us to view what he's entrusted to us and then use it for his glory, in two words, it is joyful generosity. Giving that is lavish and bountiful on the one hand and joyful on the other. That is a heart that says, I love to do this and let me do it more. It is joyful generosity that the Lord wants us to do. You see, this is a theme that runs throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. All the way through the Old Testament, you see what the Lord is trying to bring to his people is a heart of joyful generosity. That they would play a part in the building of his kingdom and they would do it joyfully and generously. We see the same true in the New Testament as he gathers his people around the new temple, the local church, and he wants them to give joyfully and generously. It's a theme that runs throughout the entirety of the Bible, and it's a theme that comes into sharp focus here in chapter 9, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians. He's already explained to the Corinthian church that, listen, I know that I came to you or wrote to you about a year ago about an offering for the Jerusalem church because they're being persecuted right now and they're in famine. And so I'm just writing to remind you that I'm coming really soon to collect that offering. And so he illustrates to them in chapter 8 about the Macedonians who gave out of their poverty above and beyond. Who really modeled what generosity was all about. And then in chapter 9, right here, he explains to them, listen, I want to come. Then as I collect this gift, I want you to give as you've all decided in your heart. Don't do it reluctantly or under compulsion. That is going to help you. But do it joyfully because God loves a cheerful giver. He wants their giving to be generous like the Macedonians. And he wants it to be cheerful because God loves a cheerful giver. All the way through the Bible. When it comes to the bullseye of understanding what the Lord will use for our good and his glory when it comes to giving. The answer is joyful generosity. And the question that I want to answer then this morning, as best I can, is how do we do that? You see, our hearts can be a bit more like Vinnie the used car salesman, coming, But they're not the venerable old grandmother that just says, oh, this is so helpful. Take it all. No, that is not our disposition. We're like Vinnie the used car salesman in there that goes, oh, not again. So how do you cultivate a heart? That, generous, that wants to give joyfully and generously to the Lord. If that's the bullseye for His glory and our good, how do we cultivate this in and through our lives? Because I think for many of us, we have to cultivate it. And we have to work hard at it. Particularly when the air we breathe is greed and materialism. How do we cultivate a heart that is joyfully Generous. Well, I think Bruce Milne in his book, Know the Truth, helps us a whole ton on this. He simply says this. He says, for at every point in the Christian life, right living begins with right thinking. You know, for me, that has been one of the life-changing truths that I have discovered in, in my Christian walk. In all of life, at every point in the Christian life, whatever it is that we're seeking to do for the Lord, right living begins with right thinking. We have to understand what is it that God is saying to me if I'm ever going to live rightly for His glory and for my good. 
So when it comes to a heart then that is needing to be cultivated in joyful generosity, how do I do it? Well, I need to understand that right living, a right heart, begins with right thinking. It's truth from God's word as it's washed over our lives that will bring oxygen to our souls and cultivate joyful generosity in our hearts. So how do we cultivate a heart of joyful generosity? Well, by knowing the truth. By allowing God's word to wash over us. And this morning, I want to look at five things that if we understand, can radically transform, I think, our hearts in a desire to give joyfully, generously to the Lord. What is it then that we need to understand in here that will help us to give joyfully and generously? Five things. And here's the first thing that we need to understand if this is going to be our story. Number one, we need to understand that all that we have is actually the Lord's. So you will never give generously to the Lord if you think that everything you have is yours. (laughs) But let's just stop there. It's not yours. It's all the Lord's. Everything you have in your house, your car, everything you have in your bank account, it's not yours. It's His. Psalm 24 verse 1. The Lord says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. Psalm 50, verses 10 to 12, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all its fullness are mine. And then Job 41, verse 11, for everything under heaven belongs to me. (laughs) So my friends, here's the reality, here's the truth of Scripture. Everything that you think is yours, eh, incorrect, everything is the Lord's. Everything is His. Absolutely everything is the Lord's. I like the way Randy Alcorn says it in his wonderful book, The Treasure Principle. He says, we don't own the store, we just work here. (laughs) I think that's brilliant. We don't own the store. We just work here. We're not owners of all the Lord has entrusted to us. We're just stewards. We're just his money managers. He has blessed us to be a blessing to others. We don't own the stuff. We just work here. It's all his. And he saved us so that we could be a blessing to others. We don't own the store. We just work here. This doesn't mean then that it's wrong to enjoy God's good gifts. We read about that in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 19. It is right before the Lord to enjoy different things that he has blessed and bestowed upon us. But what we do need to understand is we don't own it all. I think we can get sucked in on that, can't we? You think, well, I earned it. Mm -hmm. And who gave you the gifts and abilities to do the job? And who gave you the job? Well, the Lord. That's exactly right. He gave the ability to accumulate wealth because he wants you to understand that it is his wealth that he wants to use. My friends, we will never cultivate a joyful generosity in our hearts if we think everything is ours. But at a foundational level, everything can start to change in our hearts when we realize it's not ours. We're not owners. We don't own the store. We just work here. What you and I are before the Lord is money managers for the Lord, stewards of all that he's entrusted into us to be used for our good and his glory. If we want to cultivate joyful generosity, that's where the story begins. 
And then number two, second thing we need to understand is we need to understand that giving gives us an opportunity to make a difference in his great and glorious work. We can make a difference. Understanding that we've been blessed to be a blessing, the second part of the story that can provoke joy in our hearts is understanding he has blessed me so that I can make a difference in his great and glorious work. It has not been designed so that he says, listen, I'm going to bless you and here's what I want you to do. Keep it all. Just keep it all. Bless yourself. No, you don't own the store. You just work here. See, throughout salvation history, God has always called on his people to support his great and glorious work through generous giving. It's always been a prerequisite of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, part of the people of faith, part of his children. In the Old Testament, then, God's people were called to give a tithe, a first tenth, if you will, 10% of their entire income, and then offerings to the Lord on top of that, and they were to give it to the temple. And they were to give it to the temple on a weekly basis or a monthly basis for the maintenance and building of the temple to support the temple servants, i.e. the priests and the Levites, and to give it for the ongoing work of the Lord in and through the temple. And so throughout the Old Testament, that's what they did. They brought it into their storehouses. I saw this in particular laid out when I was in Nepal. Because when I was in Nepal, people are profoundly poor, and so people were actually giving a tenth of their crops. So they had a whole area in the church where people were just bringing bags. and Well, it was just a beautiful thing just to see how they were tithing in that way. And that's what they used to do in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, people would come and they would come and lay things in the temple and give to the temple for the work of the temple. Well, in the New Testament, the temple changed, didn't it? In the New Testament, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, the temple wasn't bricks and stones anymore. It was living stones. It was people being brought together from different tribes and languages and nations, being built together for new dwelling places for the Lord, and it was called the church. So people came together in the church, and the giving carried on. They didn't give it to the human temple anymore with bricks and stones. They came and they laid it at the apostles' feet, the leaders of the time, the pastor of the time, and said, listen, we're now going to tithe and give our offerings to you so that you can use it. And in the New Testament, that's the way it worked. People gave to the church to support the maintenance and building of the church, to support the poor and needy in the church and then beyond the church, and to support the ongoing mission of the church, i.e. the ongoing taking out of the gospel, to build the gospel into people then, for the glory of God, to build the gospel into people's lives and to take it beyond our walls so that other people could know Jesus as Lord and Savior. For hundreds of years, That's the way it has worked. And nothing's changed. It's still the same. It's still the pattern of Scripture. It's still the pattern of the New Testament. And listen, as a pastoral team, we thank God for the way you, as a local church, have done this. We thank God for the way that you do provide generously and give at your pastor's feet, if you will, although it now looks like a bank account. But you give in such a way that it enables us to function as a local church for years, for 14 years of our existence. It's through your giving that we have done what we have done. We're not supported from like anybody outside. Sovereign Grace Global don't give us money. They pay some of my salary because half of my wage comes from them because half of my time I work for them. But they don't support our church in a different way. No, we're entirely supported as a local church through our giving. 
through your giving, through your generosity. We thank God for that. And I want you to understand, because of your giving, you are making a difference. We are a church that is passionate about loving God, loving people, and loving making disciples of Wurunga and beyond. I thank God that you're enabled us to do exactly that. You're enabled us to keep the lights on and have chairs and actually serve our kids and do all the hundreds and hundreds of things that we actually do to know and apply and proclaim the gospel. I thank God that your generous giving into the local church is enabling us to do what we've been called to do as a local church. Amen? And it's also through your giving that you are able to make a difference globally as well. See, 10% of everything you give, we effectively, as, as Ollie always talks about at our church meeting, we tie the tithe. So every dollar that you give, 10% of that, we put aside for extra local mission. 5% stays in Australia so that we can plant and strengthen local churches right here in this country. And 5% we send overseas for global missions. When you give, you are making a profound Difference. I wish, as the director of global missions to Sovereign Grace, I wish I could put you all in my bag and take you sometimes to show you the difference you are making. A few years ago, I went to go, got to go to the um, Trinity Fellowship Pastors College in Ethiopia. It was amazing. 14 different brothers from five different nations in East Africa that are wanting to plant and strengthen Sovereign Grace churches for his glory. One man that I got to know is Brian Kayama. A young man married two small kids. He's from Nairobi, Kenya. At the end of this year, he's going to be planting a church, a first sovereign grace church in Nairobi, Kenya. All this is possible because of your giving. Humanly speaking, you're making a difference in lands and with people that you may never meet. But you are making a profound difference. Our brothers and sisters in Pakistan, as I've said before, they go through great persecution. Some of them recently went through such persecution that some of their homes were burnt down. Well, it's through your giving that we're able to rebuild their homes and stand with them as our family and help them and aid them and train pastors. There's now five different churches, central churches, that are pursuing being adopted into the Sovereign Grace family. They represent the first five of 400 churches that are seeking to be Sovereign Grace. It's through your giving that we're able to help them and aid them and see that come about. Just in two weeks' time, I'm going to be in the Philippines. They're doing incredible things like the Filipinos do. We've got three different events going on during that week. One event is going to be for pastors and wives and worship leaders. There's 200 people signed up for that three-day conference just to train them in the way we run Sunday mornings and how music works and all those different functions. we then got a Saturday conference for musicians and bands. There's going to be 1,000 people at that. 1,000 people getting trained in how to operate and function in a way that we can serve the Lord and keep the gospel central. And then on the Friday night, there's over 3,000 people booked in for a, for a concert that are going to hear about the Lord and that are going to get introduced to sovereign graces. All these things are happening in part because of your giving. You're making a difference. And if that doesn't cultivate something in our hearts, then we're not listening well. Everything we have is ultimately the Lord's. And then as he calls us to come and make a difference to him, I want you to know you are making a difference. And it should cultivate in our hearts a desire to, I want to help that. I want to bless them. 
I want to stand with brothers and sisters around the world, understanding them that giving gives us an opportunity to make a difference in his great and glorious work is part of making a heart cultivated in joyful generosity. But even that's not all. There's something even deeper. Number three, a third thing that we can do to help understanding in this and grow in joyful generosity is this. Understand that giving gives us an opportunity to store up treasures in heaven and point our hearts to things above. This is much deeper than just seeing stuff happen and stuff take place here in the right now. It's at a deeper level. And it's something that Jesus himself, as the wonderful counselor, talks to us about in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. He says, Do not, it's a command, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, right there, then he gives us two different parts of the coin, why it's so important that we don't store up for ourselves treasures here in this earth. The first part is that through our giving, we have an opportunity to store up treasures in heaven. So do not store for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You see, church, I think one of the things that, that can happen in our lives is we can so often think that when we get to heaven, when it comes to like what's going to be given out, it's just like a one-size-fits-all. I remember, I remember the first time I went on a plane, and they come around to those little welcome packs. I don't know why, but I just thought because I was a guest, uh, I was just the only one getting a welcome pack. I mean, I was so excited. Oh, look at this. Thank you so much. I mean, I was just so excited about it until you realize everybody got one, and everybody got exactly the same thing. It's so easy to think that when we get to heaven, that's what it's like. Welcome. Here's your welcome to heaven pack. It doesn't work like that. Quite clearly, there are differences in what we will receive on that day. And that is what the invitation is about. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures here, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The Apostle Paul says, I'm looking for what can be credited to your account. Jim Elliot, in response to this, says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He knew full well you can't keep it. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. So he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Because it isn't just one size fits all when we get there. I don't want to store up treasures on here to enjoy for maybe even a hundred years of my life. I want to store up treasures in the heavenly realms to enjoy for millennia. And that's the choice that he's given you. Do you want your blessing now? Or do you want it then? What do you want? Through generous and joyful giving, we have the opportunity to store up treasures in heaven. But at a deeper level, he then goes on to tell us that, listen, it's not just that. Through joyful giving, you also have the ability to point your hearts to things above. And church, I think that is such an important statement in a culture that breathes greed and materialism. Through giving, you and I have the opportunity to point our hearts to things above. And we need that. See, in the Bible, just so that we're clear, your heart is the real you. 
Your heart is the seat of your emotions, the seat of your mind, the seat of your soul. It's the real you. When you say, I really want to get to know that person, you don't mean, I really just want to get to know their chin or their kneecap. No, you mean, I want to get to know them. I want to get to know the way they think, the way they operate, their heart, what they're like. Well, that's their heart. It's the real you. And one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that the person's treasures and their hearts, the real you, are always and inevitably linked. They're like two figure skaters that are going side by side. Or synchronized divers that are coming in straight. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. They follow each other the whole time. It's just a law of life. It's the way it works. You want to know what you're really passionate about and who you really are? Look at what you do with your money and your treasures. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The real you. It's a theme that we see running through the Bible as, as a fact and as a truth. And so in Joshua chapter 7, for example, we see it with Achan. Achan is a soldier from the tribe of Judah. And yet he single-handedly caused the defeat of the Israelite army at Ai and suffered death himself along with his family. Why? Well, because God told them, listen, when you go in and you take the land, when you go in, uh, here's the one thing I don't want you to do. Don't take anything. Leave it. Just be gone. It's not about stuff. And yet Achan loves stuff. So he goes in and he takes stuff. He takes a Babylonian garment. He takes 200 pieces of silver and an ingot of gold. And through his greed and passion for stuff, he gets killed, his family get killed, and the Israelite army lose. Why? Because where your treasure is, there is your true heart. We see the same with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. It's a frightening story, really. And yet they so loved money that they were willing to lie about a piece of land they had sold. The way it worked, and it's so bizarre because they didn't need to do it. No one was saying, okay, everybody sell your land, sell all your stuff, and give to the go forward fund. No one was saying that. But people started doing it. They wanted to do it. And they were making pledges to the Lord that I'm going to sell it, and Lord, I'm going to give it to you. And yet, when they sold their land and saw the money, they decided, this looks pretty good, and I want to keep quite a lot of it. And so when they were asked about it, they were willing to lie. They grieved the Holy Spirit, and they lied to the Lord to the point where they dropped dead. Why? Because they loved money more than the Lord. Where their treasure is there was their heart. We see the same with Solomon. Solomon is one of the wisest kings to ever live. Indeed, he's one of the wisest people ever to live. And yet he allowed the love of women and money to ruin his spiritual life and love for the Lord. My friends, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like figure skaters, like divers that are synchronized. And so Jesus takes a moment with his disciples and with the crowd and he pulls up a seat alongside us and explains to them and indeed us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which is why he says, So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven heaven. The point is not only that you will store up treasures in heaven when you give generously to him, but on an equally footing, he's trying to help you see, if you want to be passionate about heaven rather than here, then give there, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
It's linked. If you want to think more about heaven, you want to be more passionate about what is to come, you want to be all in for Christ, then make sure your treasures are pointed in that direction as well. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And my friends, we need to find a way in a culture like ours to point our hearts to things above because it is so tempting not to, is it not? We need to find a way of thinking of the long tomorrow. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says, The church is constantly being tempted to accept this world as home. But if she is wise, she will consider that she stands in the valley between the mountain peaks of eternity past and eternity to come. For the past is gone forever, and the present is passing as swift as the shadow on the sundial of Ahaz. For even if the earth should continue a million years, not one of us could stay to enjoy it. And so we would do well to think of the long tomorrow. My friends, we would. We are so tempted to be sucked in. that This is my home. This is everything I have. This is all I have. Yet we would do well to think of the long tomorrow. Well, what's something I can do to think of the long tomorrow? What's something we can do to point our hearts towards the long tomorrow? Well, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So use your treasures to point your hearts to things above. Randy Alcorn, again in the book Treasure Principle, says giving is God's great antidote to materialism. And so it is. God's great antidote to materialism. No, no. Giving, joyful generosity is his great antidote to being profoundly materialistic in and through our lives. And when we understand then that my giving gives me an opportunity to point my heart to things above and store up treasures in heaven, here's what you start to find. Joyful generosity starts to come. <laughs> because you realize this isn't my home. This isn't where I belong. Heaven is my home. And I want to point my heart there. And number four, fourth way, fourth thing that we can understand to help us with this joyful generosity. Number four, understand that giving gives us an opportunity to experience the adventure of trusting God. And my friends, I chose my words carefully there. This isn't just about dryly trusting God. No, this is an experience. This is an experience of the adventure of trusting God. It's something that I can't just teach you. It's something that you can't just read in a book and go, oh, that sounds interesting. You have to step out the boat to experience it. Because it's then that God comes alive. And you see, he really is faithful and true and kind and generous to his children. This is something that we read about in Mark chapter 12, was Jesus takes up his position outside of the treasury with his disciples. It says, and as he sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting in money into the offering box, many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. It's such a beautiful scene. You know, Jesus has deliberately arranged it. He knows she is coming because he is God, the sovereign one. And so he takes a seat exactly opposite the treasury so they can see he gathers his disciples around him and the premise is, 
Just watch. And they watch together and they see lots of rich people in putting out their abundance. It isn't just that they weren't giving enough, essentially. That wasn't his point. No, in the way this is written, it's clear that they're doing it with quite a fanfare. (laughs) It's a look at me moment. Check out all the things that I'm giving for Jesus. Isn't it amazing? But then there's this poor widow. Shabby clothes, tatters, quietly making her way. Puts it in. Everything she has. And just walks away. No one would have noticed in the natural. But as Jesus sits there, he notices. And he wants his disciples to notice. And he wants us to notice, which is why this is still in Scripture to this day. She has captured his heart. And there's a lesson he wants us to understand here. And my friends, for good news for us is his lesson is not go and do likewise. <laughs> Praise the Lord that he's not saying, okay, sell everything you have and give it to the church and all the best. No, that's not his point here. His point is not go and do likewise. His point is that giving gives us an opportunity to trust him. It gives us an opportunity to experience the adventure of trusting him. Imagine this lady. She's just given away everything she has. There's no welfare state. There's no one looking after her. She is a widow. She's just given away everything she has. But she is now going to experience the adventure of trusting God, finding God to be faithful and kind and generous and care for what she needs. How do we know it? Because look who's watching. The maker of heaven and earth. I see you. I've got you. You can trust me. My friends, there are some things that I simply cannot teach you as a pastor. You have to step out the boat to experience it. Otherwise, all this will just remain theory and not experience. And when we step out the boat, what you will find is God is faithful and kind and generous with you again and again and again and again. If I had a dollar for every story, I would be a rich man. For example, just this week, I was speaking to a friend, a member of this church, and he was telling me that, you know, for them as a couple, they had just been spending some of this week, just some time annually reviewing their finances, because they really wanted to make sure that they're giving generously and sacrificially to the church. And as they did that as a couple, they realized the Lord had actually blessed them more over the year than they had anticipated. There was a lot more income than they'd actually anticipated. And so they were reworking that out, reworking what they were going to give to the church. But in doing that, they realized they could no longer afford a thermofix that they've been saving up for and have really wanted for some time because it would be helpful. But it didn't take long to realize we need to give to the Lord. We want to be generous with him. We can trust him. And so they stacked it all together and they actually gave it as a gift to the, to the church. It's ultimately an offering to the Lord just with the express desire of, Lord, we trust you. A third of things or not, no, no dramas, but we do want to be a family that are giving faithfully to you. Two days later, call from dad. Randomly, I just feel the Lord's put it on our heart to want to bless you with some money. Oh, that's really kind. Day later, checks the bank account nearly to the exact dollar of a Thermomix. 
If I had a dollar for every story like that, I could be here all day to tell you. How does that happen? Well, it doesn't just happen if you stay in theory mode. It happens when you step out of the boat and it goes, well, Lord, I'm just all in for you. I just want to trust you, whatever happens. Now listen, the point of that story is not to tell you then that every time you donate something that the Lord will arrange a call from a parent to give you the money. Okay, that's not the way it works. But it is a story that's meant to inspire your faith of understanding God sees when you give. He can be trusted and he will give to you generously and kindly. Not always financially, sometimes spiritually. So you find you never got the Thermomix, but oh my gosh, you're experiencing joy like you've never experienced before. God is faithful and he is kind and he notices every single thing. I think when we understand that, once again, it... It should stir joyful generosity in our hearts because we want to experience that. We want to experience something of the closeness and generosity of the Lord. And then number five, finally, the fifth thing that we can understand that I think makes a massive difference in our lives is understand that giving gives us an opportunity to do something that God loves. And that brings us all the way back then to where we started this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9. See, one year prior to Paul penning the letter of the 2 Corinthians, the Corinthian church had committed to giving an offering to their fellow Christians in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is experiencing persecution. It's experiencing famine as a result. And so Paul is doing the rounds through church partnership to explain, hey, listen, let's try and give to try and bless them, to try and help them so we can see them through this long and difficult season. So Paul now writes to them year on and does so to remind them of their commitment, to inform them that he will soon be coming, and to encourage and exhort them then in the profound opportunity they have towards generous, sorry, joyful generosity. And so in chapter 8, he tours them around the Macedonian church. The Macedonian church is the poorest of the poor. It would be like me coming from Sovereign Grace and saying, hey, there's a small group of churches in the Mindanao Islands in the Philippines that have given passionately. I mean, I was just there, and they gave according to their means and then beyond their means. In fact, actually, they were begging me at the door, can I just give more? That's the Macedonia church. The Macedonia church have given according to their means and beyond their means. They're so desperate to get involved and they love the Lord and his people, so they want to play their part. And so Paul tells them about them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He encourages them from their example of joyful generosity. And then in chapter 9, just by one small closing remark, he tells them, listen, also understand this. That God loves a cheerful giver. My friends, what a wonderful and sweet discovery that is. That you and I have an opportunity to do something that God himself says, I love that. Well done. I love that. I noticed you as I sat opposite the treasury. Well done. I love that. My friends, for each and every one of us in the room, we, are, we were all once upon a time dead in our transgressions and sins. For all of us in the room, we were all at once ta- one time running away from the Lord. We were alienated from the Lord. We were at enmity with Him. We were opposing Him in our lives. We exchanged the kingdom for the king. 
I want the kingdom, but I'm not worried about the king. You can do what you want with the king. I'm not even sure I believe in the king, but I like what he's made. And once upon a time, we were all running away from the Lord, and yet at just the right time, in great and profound generosity, God sent forth his Son for you. For God so loved the world, Jesus tells us, that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. My friends, what a display of generosity. There is therefore now nothing left in heaven to give for you. Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, spent eternity past being rich in the heavenly realms with the Father, and yet in profound generosity, he became poor so that you in your poverty might become rich in his name. The cross is a, is a profound display of generosity. And the one who died on it now looks you in the eye and says, you now have the opportunity to do something that I love. As Christians, that should profoundly affect our hearts. Because as Christians, you eventually get to realize that the one who died in your place is the one who is talking to us now, who is the one that says, I love a cheerful giver. Would that be your story? Because I love it. So my friends, there's another year of giving opportunities stretch out in front of us. Through offerings each and every week and through the Go Forward Fund that we get to give to, I simply want to encourage you as we aim for the bullseye in this, may joyful generosity be our story. If other people were to find out what exactly you gave, would their response be, wow, that is generous? And would your response be, and it was happy for me to give it? That's what joyful generosity looks like. And it's cultivated in our hearts as we understand that all we have to give is actually the Lord's. It's cultivated as we understand that there is an opportunity here to make a difference in His great and glorious work to store up treasures in heaven and point our hearts to things above and to experience the adventure of trusting the Lord that He can be trusted and to do something that He says, I love that. What a profound opportunity. As a church, would joyful generosity then be our theme? Amen? And here's one final thing. Even in this, the Lord is near to you. You can't do it by yourself. Notice verse 8. The very next verse. Because having described for us that God loves a cheerful giver, here's what he says. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. (laughs) What a happy discovery. He will help you with this. So keep looking up. Keep looking at Him. And with joyful generosity, be our theme. Let's pray. Lord, what gift of grace is Jesus our Redeemer? Heaven has nothing more to give. Lord, it is staggering as we stare at the cross to see how generous you have been to us. 
And so, Lord, as you've spoken so clearly to us this morning, into a culture that is steeped with greed and materialism, Lord, would this be like oxygen to our souls? Would we realign ourselves around your word this morning? Our Lord, would you help? Help us to give joyfully and generously to you. You're worthy of it all. It's all yours anyway. So would we make a difference, Lord? And would we play our part in being joyfully generous towards you? In Jesus' name, amen.